Psalm 34 verse 8 says this. Open your mouth and test. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Father, we just thank you for how good you are. We struggle to even know what that term means sometimes, but we know that you are good, that you have nothing in you that seeks our harm, only our best interests, only blessing, only the promise of hope and peace and joy and life and light. We celebrate your goodness to us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. The old translation, I think the, the um, New International also says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, this morning, I'm going to share a couple of my own experiences, which is, I don't often do it like this, but I want to do it this way, because I want to go back to something that we started in 2018. Now, some of you were not here at that stage, but you would have heard us say over a period of time, that we encourage each other to have a go. To have a go means to get out of the boat. And in Matthew 14, Jesus, um, you know the whole story of him walking on the water, and Peter cries out and says to him, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, call me, tell me, I'll come. And Jesus says, come. And I believe again, God is saying to us, Come, come, get out of the boat, have a go, get moving. And we've got to be courageous like Peter. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I went to southern Namibia. We flew up in a private jet from Cape Town. Um, it was a, a big event. It was the uh, opening ceremony for a massive uh, grape farm, table grape farm, on the Namibian side of the Orange River. And I went up with one of the owners to, uh, for the inauguration, the opening, and I was there to pray a blessing on it. The Sam Jorma, who was then the president of Namibia, was also a part owner, and he was there, and a whole entourage, and all the, all whoever's who's who in Namibia were there that day. And it was an amazing thing. I mean, it was a lovely, lovely affair, and there was food everywhere. It was my first experience of Mopani worms. <laughs> a mapani worm you find them mostly on the mapani trees that's why they're called mapani worms they have a particular name but they they get to about this size and they're they're about as thick as your finger dark and they've got they're not stripy but flecky black and sort of yellowy green color and what you do is you you take it off the tree you pinch off the bottom side of it, squeeze out all the green slime, protein. And so I tasted 
my first Mapani worm cooked with quite a bit of salt and some onion. And I tasted them dried. So how many of you had worms? <laughs> the Zimbabweans have had worms. <laughs> They're disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't know. You don't know until you taste. You don't know until you actually take the step of actually putting it in your mouth and eating it. I must say, I didn't really like the cooked ones with the onion either, but the dried ones were very nice. They were like crispy hors d'oeuvres. My grandchildren, when there's something put on their plate, they do not have an option. They have to taste it. They have to try. They can say, I don't like this yet, but they can't refuse to try. And wish that that was for all of us what our lives were like, that we didn't have the capacity to refuse at least trying something, at least putting our hand out, taking it, and tasting to see if it's good or not. And when it comes to God, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to the things that God calls us to, the only way that we know is that we actually take action. Now, in the late 80s, a friend of mine phoned me up. And he was a bit of an adventurer. And he said, I'm in trouble. I need your help. I said, sure. He said, I'm sailing the Hobie National Championships in two days' time. And the guy who was going to be my crew has got sick. Will you help me out? I said, sure. I've never sailed in my life. It was offshore. It wasn't on a dam or anything. It was in the sea. And so literally that day, we had to have a practice in the afternoon. And there was a, a wind that was close to gale force blowing off the coast of East London at Mahoon Beach. So much so that no one was going out. All the practices for the championships were canceled. And the boats were actually pitch poling on the beach. They had to tie them down. Not Monty. Monty gets his boat and he gets four huge guys to hold it down while he and I push it into the sea through the surf and we mount this thing and off we go. Obviously he had, I'd, I'd been given a few lessons beforehand, but you wear a harness with a, with a, a clasp on the front here. And so we hooked into this and you hook into the something that you hook it in on the boat. And off we go. Now you can imagine when the wind is blowing that you can hardly stand up what it's like to be on a, 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 a tiny two-man um, Hobie cat. Nothing to Monty. We go out straight out to sea at speed. We turn this thing around. Now the wind is coming from the side 
and the swells are enormous, such that when you are on the beach, if you go into one of the troughs between the swells, you can't see the top of the mast. It disappears in the swell. And these are pushing around the point. And we turn way out at sea with the wind semi behind us. And Monty said, get ready for a ride. I'm a novice, what do I know? But he puts this thing in gear. I don't know how he did it. But he puts this thing in such a way that within about a minute, we were surfing those swells on one hull with both of us out on trapeze. Now, trapeze means that you are standing on the side of the hull parallel to the, to the boat like this to balance it from pitch pulling in the water. And both of us are right back at the end of it. And it is so scary, but so exhilarating and so exciting that both of us, like schoolboys, were screaming at the top of our voices. Had one thing gone wrong, we would have been mincemeat, I'm sure. But we spent some time out there, came back completely exhausted because it was just, it was just so energizing. It, I felt so alive. Kind of got it in the neck when I got home <laughs> because it was dangerous. But it's still today one of those things that I can always almost feel the prickle of excitement when I think about it of going down that, those waves, those swells, with a hiss of just one hull in the water at such speed. We don't feel alive. We don't feel energized because what we do is we, we step back and we, we play it safe with our lives. At the same time in, in, in my life, in that period, I was invited to Israel by the Israeli government and taken around the country for six, seven days. And I went back to South Africa, organized a tour. We had about 34 odd people who were going with us on the tour to Israel. Gail and I, I was leading it. We were off to Israel. The Iran-Iraq war was in progress at that stage. The Americans had quite a fleet in the Gulf. And I won't bore you with the whole story, but basically, an Amer American cruiser shot down an Iranian passenger jet, an Airbus 300 with 290 people on board. Almost instantly, except for one person, almost instantly the phone started to ring. And all the older people in the tour pulled out. So I said to them, look, we don't fly, we're flying LL. We don't fly, we fly to Nairobi, and then we fly up the Red Sea, not the Gulf. We fly this way, like near Cairo and that way. Hundreds and hundreds of miles from where all this is taken. No. And you know what I realized? And it's, it's, it's true as you get older. 
the older you get, the less adventurous you become. The older you get, the more conservative, the more restrained, the more you settle for the status quo. And I thought, you know, here are these two things. I'm experiencing the incredible exhilaration of being fully alive, Hobie catting. And, and there are these people who are saying, oh, it might be too close to danger. And I thought, isn't that a picture of our Christian experience? And I almost thought this morning that what I would do is ask you to stick up your hand and pick on a couple of you and say, how long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a Christian? Because I think the, the desire for risk goes down inversely with the time that you've been a Christian. Certainly, it's a possibility. Peter is this impetuous guy. And we look at him and we think, oh, Peter. But you know what? He kept trying things. He kept putting his foot in it only because he was willing to step out. The others never did that. The others never got into trouble. The others never heard Jesus say, no, that's not what I meant. Or, oh, Peter, you have little faith. Or, no, that's... But Peter gets to experience Jesus at the end around the campfire after the resurrection saying, do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you, Lord. You know the whole song. And my guess is that the longer we go, the older that we get, the less we are willing to risk. I've told you the story that uh, Tony Campola, the Christian sociologist, tells of the 85-year-olds who were asked a large number of them were asked, what would you change? And the top three things came out as uh, they would stop and smell the roses more, they would risk more, and they would do more that lasts. And it's this risk thing that sits in the middle of all of that. And these people who were saying at 85, I should have risked more. I should have been more courageous. I should have stepped out. I should have actually done something that made me feel more alive. We settle easily into a routine, into a habit. We set in our ways. We're comfortable. The status quo, that's what we end up with. And there we sit. And then we go through the routine. We go through the motions. We keep we just keep doing it. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing, it's, it's good, it's nice, but where's the life? Where's the energy? Where's the sense of passion in the whole thing? And I think it's an occupational hazard for older Christians. I was talking to someone this week and they were saying that they led somebody to Jesus and they were bringing someone to church the next Sunday. It was just so exciting that they, it's in Southend. They, they, they just, they went to Alpha and after the first week, they, they found Jesus. The next week, they brought someone with them. It was just so exciting. There was this energy. The 
guy can't get the old Christians to even bring their mates who are Christians. I've told you about Kerry Southey in the past. Kerry grows as she was when we first met her. Uh, Australian lady who worked as a journalist and then someone introduced her to Jesus and simply said to her, when you are with somebody, pray for them. And she said, well, what do I pray? And they said to her, well, pray what comes into your head. And Kerry in her little flat had people around the one day, a friend around, and she said afterwards, can I pray for you? And this friend was somewhat startled because she had no history of being Christian or faith of any description. So she said, yes. And Kerry prayed for her. And when she opened her eyes, this woman was looking at her with sources for eyes. And she said, how did you know that? And she said, how did I know what? That, that you just said. And she said, what did I say? And in the beginning, she just prayed what came into her head. She didn't even remember what she prayed. But God took those words and used them to the extent that Kerry died some years ago now, but she had an international ministry going all over the world, doing conferences and meetings where she not only prayed with people and prayed in the most remarkable way in the gifts of wisdom and knowledge and all kinds of prophecy, but helped other people to come into a place like that. It didn't start there. It started back in her flat where she took the risk of saying to a friend, can I pray for you? And then she just prayed, left it to God. Peter just got out the boat. Was he going to walk? Was he going to, not going to walk? He didn't even begin to stop and think. He just did it. I was on the beach and Monty said, come on, let's go out in this. We've got to have a practice. And I said, okay, let's go. We don't always get it right. But when we listen, and then we jump in. And that's, that's base language for when we hear the voice of God and are obedient. In other words, when we just do what we think is right in that moment. And here, guys, I'm not only talking about having a word of prophecy for somebody or having a word of knowledge for somebody else. I'm talking about simply praying for someone who looks stressed or being kind to your neighbor. When, when Paul writes to the various churches, he said, each one of you have a gift. And I'm basically saying to you, whatever gift is in your hand. Jackie Pullinger said this, if you wait until you have enough, if you wait until you have something, you will never give. But if you give what you have, you will not only have, you will not only have enough, you will have a surplus. And that's the principle, I think, that God operates with. If you're happy to sit back and do nothing, if you're happy to, to not take a chance, if you're happy to just let things carry on as they are, then life will just keep moving on. There's not going to come a bolt of lightning and, and strike you dead, but you will live subminimally. And I honestly believe that half the trouble with us as we get older as Christians is that 
we drift off because we don't feel alive anymore. And part of that is, I think, that we don't take a chance. That we don't have a go. John Wimber said this, and I'm quoting, simply give what you feel the Holy Spirit has provided for you, whether it's kindness, prayer, some form of revelation. And then the next thing God gives you. And then the next thing. And then the next thing. And then the next thing. You see, it, what we want, you see, here's what happens. When we step out of the boat, God holds us up on the water. When we taste and see that God is good, we actually get to taste and see. We want to go, God provide a miracle without any personal engagement or involvement. But the truth is the miracles come, the healing comes when we are willing to be risky and put ourselves on the line and say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for this thing? We don't want to pray for people when they raise something, especially if they're not non-Christians. We don't want to say, oh, I'm going to pray for X because what if it doesn't happen? Well, what if it does? And I think that we've, we've, we've got to start being alert and listening and looking for opportunities where we can just actually be courageous and step out. And have a, have a go. Is it risky? Of course. We're not guaranteed success. But that's the point of it. Is that we learn more and more to be dependent on God. And not on ourselves. And when we do step out. It's amazing that God will keep giving us opportunities. It's like the little boy who brings his loaves and his fish. It's Jesus who does the miracle. Not him. He just gave his bread, his fish. I think I've been reflecting on it this week, and I think my Hobie cat experience was kind of a metaphor for life. You can be on the beach. You can be standing on the beach in the wind and thinking, those guys are crazy. What are they doing? They could kill themselves. And then go home bedraggled and windswept, or you can be on the water. You can actually be having a go and experiencing what it is to be fully alive as a Christian. I'm finished, but I just want to quote Joyce Meyer to you. I don't read much of her stuff, but this I like. And so here's, here's the conclusion of what I have to say this morning. She says this, when it's in the whole context of, of risking and faith and stepping out of the boat and, and having a go. She says, your palms will sweat, your mouth will go dry. When that happens, lick your palms and get on with it. Is an image to leave with.